Hey, everybody, this is Chris with the Life is a Ride podcast. I'm blessed to have Stacy Tenhouten here, who is, I know her as one of my yoga teachers, but um, Stacey, tell our audience everything you do. In, in, How much time do you have? <laughs> in, in a few in a few sentences or less. Um, I am a tra- I'm a yoga teacher in Los Angeles, and I kind of swing between being a studio teacher and um, but my heart is in trauma informed yoga practices. Um, I facilitate programs. Um, well, we I guess we'll probably get into this later, but I'm a tra- my my heart is that I'm a trauma informed yoga practitioner and teacher. Okay. And what brought you to yoga? Um, it's interesting. I, when I was about, um, let's see, maybe 15 years old, I was living up, I grew up in Los Angeles and then I lived for a few years, um, up in the San Bernardino mountains and I would come down for the summers, um, to stay with a family friend. And this was the early 80s, so coming out of the 70s. And this family friend had, you know, a couple of hippie friends that had spent all this time um, in an ashram in India, and they came to visit um, during the summer while I was there. And I would hear them at like, you know, 5 a.m. before the sun came up. I would hear like this breathe, this like weird noise. It sounded like almost snoring slash breathing. And um, I finally asked what was going on and they were practicing yoga. And um, while they were there for a few weeks, they taught me, I think I just learned the breath work and we did some sun salutes. And that would be our morning practice. And I really connected with it. And of course, I was not uh, old enough to know why. And I don't think I knew until the past maybe 10 years why I connected with it. But um, it became something that I found intriguing. And, you know, once I went back up to the mountains, there is no uh, yoga in the San Bernardino Mountains. And there was barely yoga in Los Angeles at that time. Um, So it wasn't until I was about um, 18 or 20 years old that I found um, that I found a yoga teacher in Marina Del Rey who taught in a sail making factory for Hmm. sailboats. (laughs) So her husband made sails and we used to, she taught a class once a week and it felt like um, I really resonated with her class because she was teaching what I had experienced with those two people in Topanga. Um, And then because of finances, you know, I was young and also I was, I was young and I was dumb. (laughs) So I didn't, I didn't stick with yoga. And then yoga started to become prevalent in Los Angeles in like the early nineties. And um, I started to take classes. um, I started to take very regular classes at, do you remember Sacred Movement Studio in Santa Monica? I do over on Main Street, right? Yeah. So yeah. I took classes there, you know, as much as I could. And um, that was the beginning of a serious journey and um, highs and lows, but consistent yoga practice. And if I'm re- remembering right, that was Max Strom and uh, Saul David Ray. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 I Eric Schiffman. Eric yeah. Schiffman. Right. Yeah. 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 
So what brought you to teaching yoga? Um, well, I had a teacher. So I went to, I, like I said, I was at sacred movement forever. And, um, I always took Max Strom's class. That was the class that I really loved. And it was kind of like, you know, in those days it was so like, and, and still, you know, it's a scene and that place was really a scene. And, you know, I would only go to this class. I would never go to that class. I only went to this teacher. And then one day um, I went to go to a class and my regular teacher was um, not there. And I almost walked out, which I've had a million people do to me when I'm subbing for a teacher that they love. I almost walked out and I was like, you know what? I'm going to um, just stay. And this yoga teacher that I, that I took the class with was very big on developing a personal practice and was very kind of anti-studio and more getting in touch with your own personal practice. And his philosophy was, once you got that practice, it's your responsibility to start teaching yoga. Mm. So I did. And now I wasn't certified in any kind of, you know, I didn't have a certification, but I was teaching, you know, friends, family. I was teaching like in small community spaces. Um, And then finally in, gosh, I think it was 2014, maybe that I got my official um, yoga certification. And uh, yeah. So your focus is on a trauma-informed practice, um, and I'm so intrigued by that because I, I'm guessing trauma, if you ask 10 people what trauma means, you might get 10 different answers. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you define trauma, and how do you help people with trauma? Um I think I need to kind of backtrack a little bit and talk about how I became aware that something was going on with myself, in particular, when it came to a yoga practice. Um, So when I was going to all of those classes um, at Sacred Movement, the bigger, more like commercial type of classes, I would have a really great practice, um, really like kind of doing all the work, pushing through. But my reaction to um, adjustments was very charged. And more than anything, my uh, body's reaction to Shavasana was excruciating. Mm. So while everybody was in the room laying down, just like I thought, doing what, you know, peaceful, relaxed, everybody was totally chill. I literally felt like I could run through the door, you know, in the cartoons where you leave your imprints, like you run through in your body. (laughs) That's what I felt. That's how I felt. I had a lot of disturbing imagery. I like just did not feel well at all. And I didn't know why. Now, when I went, when I started taking this person's class who taught me um, how to do a personal practice, well, when you do a personal practice, guess what? You don't have to do Shavasana or you can sit up or so I was, I started to make choices for myself and I wasn't really linking what was going on. So when I started teaching, when I started my teacher training at Santa Monica Yoga, 
One of my teachers was Kira Hagland. I don't know if you know her or not, but what she does is somatic experiencing and trauma-informed yoga. And that was the first time I got introduced to the idea of trauma and how trauma lives in the body and how yoga can help facilitate the healing of um, trauma. And um, so that's kind of where my journey began. So to get back to your question of what is trauma, trauma, there's really two types of trauma. There's developmental trauma, which comes from, um, you know, maybe chronic neglect as a child, abuse, um, just being in a in an overall sense of unsafety during your childhood or not having somebody there to mirror you and help you learn the tools of self-regulation, you know, cooing, touch, um, being witnessed, basically. Um, so lacking that in childhood would be considered developmental trauma. Um, then there's another type of trauma, which is shock trauma. Right. So a parent suddenly dies, a natural disaster, school shootings, a car accident. Is there anybody in this room? I know it's just you and me, but anybody who's listening that hasn't been exposed to that, there's not. We're all we are living in a traumatized society. Absolutely. And, And that's not going to change. Right. So that's why learning how to self regulate is critical to our health. So I think that lots of us think about trauma in being extreme. It's not always extreme. It can be that you fell off your bike as a kid and somebody didn't, wasn't there to like pick you up and just dust your knee off. Not because you had a neglectful parent, but just you weren't with a parent. You know what I mean? It's So it's not always something that is, um, that's a gigantic event. The commonality between these things is that there's nobody there to um, to help you move through to the other side. So your body doesn't have the opportunity to discharge the nerve that, you know, when we go into our fight and flight mode, which is what happens sometimes, like if a bear was chasing me, I would get to run through the woods, try to escape the bear right? And then maybe I outrun the bear or I hide. And then once the bear is away, I'm like, oh, oh, phew, that was close. Now, if I have to play dead when the bear comes into the room, so he leaves me alone, my body is still creating that energy, right? My body's still going into that fight or flight state of mind, but I never discharge it. And I just leave it in my body. So as we go through traumatic events that don't get discharged, that we don't have self-regulation techniques, um, it's sort of like when you plug too many things into your kitchen, right? Eventually, that energy is too much and the whole system just shuts down. Right. You're you're making me think that um, this is fascinating. And thank you for providing that explanation. Um, Sometimes people are too frightened to confront their trauma or have trauma and don't even know. I mean, they know something, but they don't know what to do with it. How, how can yoga help with trauma? Um, well, yoga helps with trauma because it facilitates uh, self-regulation. 
So there's lots of techniques that we use in yoga. By the way, you're doing, you know, one of the most important things that differentiates between a trauma-informed yoga class and a regular yoga class, um, both classes have the ability to self for self-regulation, right? The difference between the regular yoga class and the trauma-informed yoga class is that the trauma is not being seen in the room. Nothing's being named. The language that's being used can actually be very triggering and traumatizing. Um, so I just want to name that it's not just about the yoga practice itself. It's about how we teach the yoga practice. Mm. So, um, you know, there's a difference between me saying, trying to think of like, when you use trauma-informed language, you're empowering somebody to get inquisitive and to notice. When you start noticing things, then you have the ability to make a choice. You get your, uh, use invitational language with people. Right. So, you know, in lots of yoga classes, first of all, in lots of yoga classes, the breath isn't even mentioned. Right. That to me is like, huh? Right. right. So, you know, when we breathe in, our nervous system elevates. When we breathe out, our nervous system calms down. When we're breathing in and out with balance, we're starting a self regulation technique. Okay. Um, so, so breathing, that's one thing, your parasympathetic nervous system responds to breath, orienting, looking around the room, right? Seeing where you are, making sure that you're safe, being aware of your conditions that signals the brain. I want to name that some of these things are triggering for people. Okay. So it's not a one size fits all thing. That's right. why, that's why the language is so important that we use. Like I might say to you, like, Hey, have a look around the room, just check it out. If that starts to feel unsettling, you know, take a deep breath in and out and just, you know what I mean? Giving people like always the opposite. That's kind of how I try to teach. So orienting is one knowing where you are. Breathing for me is number one, but for some people, it might be different. Um, grounding. The earth is supporting my feet. I can feel my bones on the earth. I'm feeling rooted, connected to something. Um, I'm supported. And then centering, which I think most people don't really think about centering at all. You know, um, I think we know when we're uncentered, but we don't actually recognize um, when we are centered. So doing um, like abdominal work is a big centering action, uh, doing those kinds of breaths where we roll the belly in and up. We had this gut brain access here, you know, and, and when we're centered, we're kind of really tapped into that. And it's an important place to be because then you know what's going on and how to best proceed for your own wellness. Um, giving people options is number one. When we are in a situation where we are in a traumatized state, not only we can't even see the options, even if we have them. Let me ask you, it's very common in yoga classes, not every teacher, but um in lots of classes where the teacher, and I think actually you've done this too, and I this is I say this with respect, teachers will ask, is there anything physical going on in your body? 
that I need to know about or, or that you want me to know about. Is it a fair question? To, and maybe you do this in your trauma, more trauma-focused classes, to ask students, is there anything going on emotionally, mentally? I mean, um, I think there's more shame associated with that question. Mm. And I think that as this is my personal opinion, I also need to put it out there that I am not my mentors in trauma informed yoga. Uh, my teachers are all also clinical psychologists, somatic, um, somatic experiencing therapists. I am not that I am a trauma informed yoga uh, teacher. So I don't want anything to be taken in as like a, a professional medical opinion of any, they're, they're not. But when you sometimes not everything needs to be spoken, I think this is more about checking in with yourself, acknowledging with people what might be in the room. You know, I mean, you might have heard me say like, oh, you know, there's a lot of underlying stuff going on right now. We're all really busy. You know, we might be feeling this and that. And I think when you just put it in the room and not, because nobody's going to say, if you're in a group of people, I feel okay saying, um, oh, my knee hurts, but I'm not going to feel okay saying, oh, you know, I am in this terrible divorce and I'm, you, do you know what I'm mean? So right. I think it's, I think it's a matter of, first of all, there's a lot of shame around mental illness or even, ha or even having emotions, not fun having stress. Um, so that's something that I would not ask. No, that's I fair. I presume it's in the room because it is for me. <laughs> it has to be. I totally agree with you. I mean, just if nothing else, just what we've all been through in the last two years with COVID and the trauma associated with that, whether it's job loss, whether it's having to stay at home, having to stay at home with your kids, having your kids home from school. Yeah. I mean, so much. Well, and we're also in this um, age where we're exposed to every single trauma in every single country at every single moment. We're being bombarded with traumatic events nonstop. And I also have to name that witnessing somebody's trauma is also a traumatic event for you. So I think that when we start limiting like, oh, this trauma is worse than that trauma, trauma, trauma responses is what we're talking about. It's not incidents by incident. Now mm -hmm. there is like a, you know, there is a, um, have you heard of the ACE score, adverse childhood experiences? I've heard of it, but don't ask me to explain it. So it's basically, you know, you kind of, it's kind of a chart that's giving you a grade, a trauma grade <laughs> that you don't want. <laughs> but, you know, it's like one to three. I don't know the exact numbers, but maybe one, if you have one to three, you're more likely to smoke or have an early uh, teen pregnancy. Three through four, maybe you're more likely to pick up a drug habit and um, not be able to connect with people in toxic relationships, let's say. Then the list goes on and on, you know, health issues, lung issues, incarceration, addiction. So um, I don't even remember why I brought up ACE. Um, Oh, so, so as we go through these things, we might not, maybe if we're looking at one single event, it's, it's not that big of a deal, but we're getting triggered all the time. And all each one of those events isn't, it adds on. 
because the body responds again. The energy gets stuffed down into the body and it's like going up your throat, you know? I don't know where I was going with that, but hopefully it made me feel smart. <laughs> I'm wearing glasses. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm guessing some of our listeners, some of my listeners have never practiced yoga. I mean, you and I live in Santa Monica area. As you mentioned, yoga, especially in Los Angeles, the last 30 years has just boomed. Um, how has yoga helped you specifically? Um, well, I'll tell you, I can enjoy Shavasana now, but <laughs> yoga has helped me. Um, so I have had a, I've had severe, I've had severe developmental trauma growing up and then, you know, compacted by life trauma, right? Shock trauma. Um, and I had a really long period of time where my health was failing at a level, I was really barely functional, honestly, um, not able to sustain intimate relationships, um, constantly working myself to death. So I wasn't living as I went through the yoga practice, even before I became trauma informed, I still was obviously my first connection that I talked about was the breath. When I heard that person breathing, I knew that this was something that I needed. Um, and that connection to the breath stayed with me. Um, but I will say that my health has improved. I'm able to be in relationship. I am uh, able to, it sparked my creativity majorly. I'm able to help facilitate other people's healing, which is the gift beyond. Um, just general health is across mental health and physical health. Yoga has, and I will say my personal belief, because I've been through 30 plus years of therapy and addiction groups and, you know, you name it, I've done it to me without the yoga without mind body practices, the other stuff just is not going to take, it helps you to a level, mm -hmm. but yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't start to cross you over the bridge. So that's why it's so important. That's my personal experience. Um, and I believe it's most people's experience. Unfortunately, like you said, not all of us are able to access, um, the mind body practices, but they are becoming more prevalent. Um, I think some people are also still intimidated by it. I mean, I hear this quite frequently when I talk to others about meditation. I, I am, full disclosure, my mind can go boom, 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 all over the map when I'm meditating. And I'm, I've just learned to accept it. And the rule of thumb come back to the breath. So when people tell me, oh, I'm not very good at meditating, I raise my hand and say, I'm not very good at it. But I do it because it helps. It helps me slow down my system. It helps me calm, become calm. And, and I, I definitely want people to know that. I'm guessing that's one of your missions too. Well, yeah. And I think it's interesting because I hear this, I'm not good at all the time. I'm yeah. not good at yoga. I'm not good yeah. at meditating. What is good at yoga and good at meditating? 
The only reason why you think that is because you have this image. Which, by the way, when you see this, you have no idea what I'm thinking right now. I look like this, <laughs> especially in L.A. That's, that's something that I really, really noticed looking at myself as a more mature woman now and looking at myself as a younger woman entering a ro yoga room, looking around at everybody in the room that was like, you know, so I was like, oh, okay, I'll, I'm going to do that too. <laughs> you know, But in my mind, I wasn't feeling anything. And that is one thing that I, I would like to say. If you walk into a yoga room, somebody think about it. I drove here in LA traffic. I parked my car. I checked in at the front desk. I walked in, I dropped down my, I sussed out the room like, oh, I don't like practicing next to that person. I want the teacher to see me. I've gone through all of that. Then I sit down and then I just go into a meditative state. <laughs> okay, let's get, and I think that that's part of, that's part of um, just like everything. It's the monetization of yoga that has ruined yoga. And it's ironic because I make money teaching yoga, but I also teach a ton of free yoga. If you know how to do yoga and you're not a yoga teacher, if you are a yoga teacher and you know how to do yoga, you need to be giving yoga, period. I love that. I, I want to talk about that in a second. I want to talk about your other ventures, about where else you teach yoga and some of the, your other creative um, ventures. But the last thing I want to say about this is, yeah, I mean, you can walk into a yoga class and I, I used to take Brian Kess for years and years and years. And, and that was a scene, a total scene, but I was 30 years younger. My body was different. My mental state was different. My financial state was different. Everything was different 30 years ago for me, for everyone, for all of us. Right. Yeah. There's no, I mean, Brian and I have stayed in touch over the years, but there's no way I can do Brian's class. My body has just changed. And so it's part of yoga for me is acceptance of where I am. And it's not comparing myself to the 25-year-old guy or woman next to me who is much more flexible, who has a better body than I do. It's not about that. It's about where am I? What are my limits? Right. And because we can't all get in and the 30 year old next to you deserves that too. Yeah. So I think that's part of the thing is it's not, this has nothing to do with age. This has everything to do. And, you know, many yoga teachers are teaching for themselves. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. So if you're, if you're really seeing everybody in the room, which you need to, then you always give the options and the more you give them, the more they're taken, you know? Um, so I don't think it has to do with the maturity level. I think it has to do with, there's a different, you've been to, you've been to Brian Kess class, right? Brian Kess should be guiding everybody with the options to not just the physical, um, you know, I think you might've heard me say this before, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Yeah. And and that that applies to life. Oh, I good can, point. Yeah. So I think that I think that we need to start why trauma informed yoga is so important is we need to start changing the language around pushing through everything. In LA, I don't know. I think we're kind of a lost cause. 
Well, let's talk about some of your other ventures. I know you're a podcaster. You interviewed me a few weeks ago. You're a writer, so I want to talk about your book. But maybe we'll start by, you mentioned teaching yoga for free. Talk about some of your volunteer efforts. Um, well, um, COVID kind of shifted things a lot for me, but um, I have I have taught classes, um, God, I'm trying to think of when I started, but I like to start my programs that I teach for free. I usually will approach a, you know, a youth center or a rehabilitation center. And my, my goal is to teach people for free so they can learn how to teach people yoga and bring yoga to their communities. That's kind of my big goal. Obviously, I want everybody to have access. That's another gigantic trauma. Systemic trauma is a huge issue. And, you know, there's a there's a lot of people that um, have a stigmatized view of yoga, especially when you're crossing different cultures. Um, so I have developed programs for trauma-informed yoga um, at the Pico Youth and Family Center, uh, I taught uh, free classes at Claire, um, which is a rehabilitation center in Santa Monica. I um, co-facilitate a program called Yoga and Dream Lab, um, which we teach for free. During the pandemic, I was teaching classes for free seven days a week, um, two for yoga and dream lab and five classes that I taught, um, on my own. I like to teach underserved communities. Um, right now I'm not teaching anywhere for free. Um, which is, you know, which is actually problematic for me, but I'll tell you, if you know anybody that needs yoga, I'll teach them for free. Um, <laughs> Any day of the week. Um, but I am teaching, I am teach, I, I am currently teaching a very heavy schedule at a rehabilitation center. So I teach at Santa Monica Yoga, but I teach probably two, I teach every day at least two classes at this rehab center. And it gets to be, I'll I'll tell you one thing about service. It's really fulfilling and it's very necessary. And mm. also it can be really, really draining. So I actually reached a point of it being really, really draining. And I'm drained from COVID too. <laughs> right. So I, I am on a little break, but um, service is part of your yoga practice. It's a very important part of your yoga practice. So sometimes it's just about me. You know, I have a thing on my Instagram called Toolbox Tuesdays. Sometimes it's about me putting something that people can access for five minutes if they if they want it. You know, so there's lots of small ways to do service. And right now, that's that's the way that I'm doing it. Um, but yeah, I developed a lot of programs for sexual abuse survivors, uh, formerly incarcerated individuals, um, but mostly wherever it's needed, I could walk in anywhere and do it. It's it's something that I would rather. Unfortunately, I'm at a point in my life now where I need to be a little bit more financial. You know, I was married before, had a dual income, and now I'm you know on my own, so it's not as accessible to me to teach as much as I was for free. Right. I, I, what I love about the 
being of service. It's something we all could do a little more of. It really is. Well, and it's really funny because in, in yoga, you know, in traditional yoga, there's the eight limbs of yoga. And the only one that anybody really pays attention to, or I guess maybe three, are asana, meditation, and that's pretty much it. Pranayama, breath, you right. know, but service is like the biggie. And if I'm, if I'm, if I'm not, um, if I'm not in service and I'm not seeing, I'm taking something that first of all, culturally doesn't belong to me anyways, and I'm not giving it. It's been given to me because I've had the privilege of receiving it, but it yoga is for everybody. And if I want to be in a society of people that are self-regulated, it's my responsibility to offer that, to offer what I know. How did the book come about and tell the listeners what the title is? Um, the book is called The House with Two Stories. And just a uh, warning, it's kind of creepy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that I, um, I work with a, a woman, she's an artist and a depth psychologist. Her name is Mercedes Gertz, and she co-facilitates um, Yoga Dream Lab. We have the same uh, trauma-informed yoga teachers, and one of the things that we noticed, and I think I talked about this at the beginning um, of our interview, is that yoga stirs up your unconscious, right? So I'm sure you've experienced images or thoughts in yoga that you're like, wow, where did that kind of mm, come from? Sure. And it's not, and nobody ever talks about it. And it's not always going to be a pleasant, um, a pleasant image, but that that's a message. That's a, to me, a sacred message that's coming up and needs to be looked at. So part of the process of yoga and dream lab is you do your yoga practice. If something came up, you take five minutes to sketch it out. And then you spend time in relationship with that image and kind of work with it. Okay. In a more of a Jungian viewpoint, you know? So I was doing a yoga and dream lab workshop and I had this crazy image. Um, I had this, uh, you know, I had this image of this girl who is swallowing all of these pieces of paper and she gets so much paper in her belly that she catches on fire. This came up after a yoga practice. It's crazy. But it was important to look at, right? So I spent about a year with that image and I wrote a fairy tale, an adult fairy tale um, around it. And, um, you know, it was well received by some people and was really not well received by other people. Um, but I think it's important for people to recognize that if you have images that are violent or that might be disturbing, that's not something to be shamed of. It's something to look at. It's when we don't look at those images that our behaviors become inappropriate, self-harming, harming other people. Um, so this book was probably one of the most important processes that I have gone through in my life. Um, and I continue to work that way through yoga, getting the image, working the image. And that's kind of what I'm really into right now. Um, and I think it's a very important piece of the puzzle. Would you do another book if another image like that came up? 
I'm in the process of writing uh, three fairy tales right now. So it's a trilogy. Um, it's called The Mother, The Maiden, and The Crone. And it goes through each of these women in all of those roles. So in all three books, one will be a maiden, you know, one will be the crone. And it, it's very, it's been an extremely interesting process. So it's not just about doing a book. I did a, I'm in the process of doing a short animation. Um, I've actually completed a short animation for the first um, book. And yeah, I, I highly encourage, um, you know, we're, we're on a pause on yoga and dream lab, but if anybody has any, you know, uh, desire to explore this with me, I'd love to explore it with them. And how did the idea come about for your podcast? The idea of the podcast also sort of came through, well, came through two things. It, be, it came through my desire to, um, you know, just working in other communities that um, I'm really big on this. We're all one idea. And I know mm. it sounds kind of woo woo, but it's critical. And the, and our, our link is trauma and our life experiences. We're not different. Right. But the thing that the reason why I did the podcast is when we would do yoga and dream lab online during the pandemic. So I, like I said, at the end, you draw an image and then we share our image. I would say every single class, there were at least three or four people who had drawn the same images. That's something. We were in different countries. We we're all from different cultures, different ages. So I started to really get into this idea that our stories, where are the intersections? How can we relate to other people? Just And also people need to be heard without being interviewed. You know, just we don't really have a space to just say so it was it was a combination of seeing our commonalities, letting our stories be bridges to one another. When you're not seeing the person and you're just listening to it, it's a different experience. It's very insulated. You're it's intimate. And um I try to keep it as unproduced as possible. Besides the little music stuff in between, there's not any changes um, to what's happening. You're just really sitting in an intimate moment with somebody sharing what they felt was their story, their most important story. And sometimes that's their most important story. When they say it out, sometimes they might not know why it's important until they actually do this process. I think it's a really important venture. Um, we all have stories and we all have really deep, meaningful, personal stories. And the more we start sharing them, I do think it's a way of bridging our what we perceive as differences. Yeah. And it's it's so important right now. We have to take care of ourselves and connect to one another because that is that's really the only way. Sometimes I wish it wasn't, believe me, but it is. <laughs> I, I agree. I do agree. Um, tell our listeners how people can find you, whether it's the book, the podcast, your yoga classes, et cetera. Um, so if you are in Los Angeles, I teach at Santa Monica Yoga. Um, I have a website. It's it's either Stacy Ten Houghton, which I guess you can put this on your notes, StacyTenHoutonYoga.com. 
And I think it's also under stacytenhouten.com. I think either way you can get to it. I'm not the best about updating my website, um, but I can be emailed through there if you have any questions. And there is a ton of information about what I do there. My book is on Amazon. My book is anywhere, Barnes and Noble, anywhere where you would, um, or you can get it directly through me. Um, in my Instagram, which I also don't know what that is, but I think it's just Stacey. <laughs> I think it's Stacy underscore Ten Houghton. I'm doing great PR here. <laughs> but um, my Instagram, my schedule is always up there. What I'm doing is always up there. I have, you know, there's stuff that you might be like, what the hell is this girl doing on her Instagram? But I do a lot of active imagination through my processing, like with the book, I did actually put pieces of paper in my mouth. You know what I mean? So some of that stuff is on there. I'm a little bit weird, but I'm also, um, I'm pretty cool. <laughs> are, are, are any of the classes that you teach? I know everyone was doing them on Zoom when the height of the pandemic, but anything you teach now that's still at least partially on Zoom? Um, Santa Monica Yoga, my class on Tuesdays at 1045 is live streamed and it's, um, and it's in person. So for someone who's in the East Coast, they can check you out that way too. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think they're also available on demand. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Then that would be just at SantaMonicaYoga.com? That's correct. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to put all these links. Um, this has been great. Thank you so much for teaching me. And I'm guessing people who listen to this podcast, they'll learn a lot. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I, I'll see you when you get back. Thank you. Yeah. In two or three weeks. All right. Great. Have a good day. Thank you. You Chris. too. Bye-bye. Bye.